On this episode of One Thing Led to Another, we are joined by fantasy author Josiah Bancroft. He is best known as the author of the Books of Babel, with the third book in the four-book series releasing on January 22nd of 2019. I myself have read the first two books, Senlin Ascends and The Arm of the Sphinx, and I can tell you that they are absolute treat and most certainly an adventure. My name is Josiah Bancroft. I'm the author of the Books of Babel Fantasy Adventure Series. The first book in the series is called Selena Sins, um, and the second book is Arm of the Sphinx. The third book, which I just released, is The Hod King, and the series will conclude with the fourth book, which we hope to release in 2020. All right, excellent. So the first question I have for you is actually about Senlin Ascends. Mm. Um, in my research, I found out that that book was actually self-published to begin with. So can you take me a little bit through uh, self-publishing and then ultimately into publishing? Sure. It's a you know a little bit of a rambling story because I, there's just not really a straight line uh, to any of this. But um, I self-published Senlin Ascends in 2013, the spring of 2013. Um, with the kind of goal in mind of selling 500 copies. That was my, my goal. I had never self-published before. I had no experience with it. I read some blogs and kind of developed some sense of what to expect, and I thought that that was a modest goal uh, that was achievable. Uh, after three years, I had sold 250 copies. It was uh, not, not, not <laughs> a rousing success. I was uh, not able to find a readership. But you know, I tried a lot of different things. Uh, you know, the the sort of usual avenues, uh, advertising and, you know, uh, blog tours and uh, trying to get AMAs on uh, Reddit and uh, those sorts of things. I also, you know, started going to conventions like, you know, Comic-Cons and uh, uh, sitting at a table behind a stack of books trying to uh, flog them one at a time to strangers, which is a tough sale. You know, that's, 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 a, that's a hard thing to, to do to convince people that uh, you, this person who is decided to just essentially print up a book uh, is worth their time. So, I, you know, I, I really struggled as a self-publisher. Uh, looking back, there were a lot of things I did not do well and did not do right. Um, so it was not as if, um, you know, I, I, I tried everything, but I, I, I feel like I, I made an honest go of it. Um, and then I think it was the spring of maybe 2016, I decided to pack it in. I was done. Um, you know, I, I just decided that it wasn't going to work. Uh, the last gasp of effort to get the book out there was I submitted it to Mark Lawrence's SPFBO, the self-published fantasy blog off. Um, it was knocked out in, I think, the second round. But for whatever reason, Mark read the review that was written by the blogger who had decided against it, ultimately, um, and was interested enough to pick up the book and read it himself. So Mark Lawrence read it. Decided he, you know, really liked it, and he really was the instrument—not uh, the instrument. He was instrumental in getting me uh, connected to an agent, getting me connected to publishers, and uh, getting me started down the publishing kind of uh, road. Wonderful. So then, backtracking a little bit, where did the 
idea, the overall idea for the books of Babel come from? I mean, your setting is the Tower of Babel, which is an established setting in the Bible. But how did your story grow? You know, uh, mm, boy, it, uh, there's several different influences going on there. I, I was coming from a background of writing poetry. I spent about 10 years trying to be a, a poet, which is sort of like trying to be an opera singer. There's just not a lot of call for it. You know, I mean, like it's a, it's an, a venerable and honored profession, but like, you know, there's just not that many professional poets anymore. So after 10 years of doing that, uh, yeah, I decided to try my hand at something different and feeling sort of sort of disillusioned. I returned to some of the novels that I admired in my youth, uh, the like Victorian adventure stories by H.G. Wells and Jules Verne and Robert Louis Stevenson. And uh, as I was rereading those, I kind of thought, like, you know, there's there's something here that that's that's enjoyable still. I mean, it, they're they're very they're very outdated. They're you know problematic books because they were written by you know <laughs> European <laughs> white men in 1850. They had all kinds of problems. But what I liked at the core was this sort of like sense of bounding adventure. And uh, having come from several years of you know trying to to write poetry which is not as rollicking and fun or was not for me that was really appealing um the sort of fuse that set it off was this book by italo calvino called invisible cities which is a imaginary travel log of all these fantastic but unreal destinations um and so i i sat down and kind of tried to write my version of that but set in the tower of battle um and so that was sort of where it began ultimately the uh, piece that it started at was sort of a prose poem uh, which is a terrible idea um, <laughs> uh, there's just no call for it uh, that got turned into the epigraphs that start the chapters uh, of sin on the sins and then the later books as well and those are like also a heavy nod towards douglas adams and the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy books as well so there's there's a lot of different kind of like pieces floating around in there so then the main point of conflict in your story is Senlin having to find his wife. Where did you decide to have that be the main source of conflict? And one of my favorite parts about Senlin Ascents is that you're hit with that right away. And as someone who's recently been married, it was very easy for myself to put myself in the shoes of Senlin. But what made mm. you decide to go with that as the main point of conflict throughout the series? Uh, you know, I think that, uh, boy, I don't... I that's sort of a hard thing to pin down. Um, I, I think that the, the essential question that I, I wanted to, to have the reader ask is whether it is Sinlin who is the one searching for, for Maria or if he is the one who is lost. There, there's just mm -hmm. not this clear sense that uh, he's really the person who's most active in this role as, as searcher, or at least for a very long time. Um, and I found that to be interesting. I think the thing I like about the, the, the tower, or not like, but I find interesting about the tower, is that it makes a sense of identity very um, slippery and very complex and very f sort of uh, uncertain. Um, and, you know, Sinlin sets out with a sense of uh, absolute uh, self-control and poise and, and uncertainty about what he's facing. Uh, and that is completely uh, gutted and then very like, thoroughly destroyed as he as he starts to look for his wife um and i think that that's so like the, the the core of it is not like a damsel in distress it's what does it mean to be lost and what does it mean to search mm -hmm. i think i'm gonna want to shift the conversation a bit to you as a writer hmm. um first and foremost 
as a writer, what do you struggle with and what did you have to work through and, and almost correct as you were writing your books here? Um, you know, I think that I struggle with, oh man, everything. I, you know, I, I, it just, to be honest, when I sat down to write Sin on the Sins, my goal was to finish the book. I had some sort of guidelines for how I wanted to do that. I had some self-imposed rules about chapter length and chapter uh, structure or accomplishment. But the goal was just to finish it because I had been a serial abandoner of novels up until Sin on the Sins. Sin on the Sins really is the first novel I finished as an adult. Um, and I had a, a, a drawer full of failures. And so I think like the thing I struggled with most is just getting past that point of any longer work where, where you discover the flaws, you discover the sort of missteps, you discover the, the things that are like not ideal. Uh, and in the past, I would just, <clears throat> you know, throw it in the, the bin and start over. But with similar sense, I was determined not to do that. I was determined just I, I, I told myself many times during the process, it can be bad, but it has to be done. You know, that was sort of my mantra doesn't have to be good but it just has to be over um and so yeah i think that's probably the thing i you know as a writer struggle with most at that point so then i imagine with a background in poetry it must have been difficult to not spend so much time on a sentence or on just a part of a sentence how did you kind of get through that mental barrier which is something that a lot of writers struggle with is mm. not putting all that effort into one sentence when you have forty thousand right. pages to get through I, you know, the answer is like, I didn't, I still obsess over sentences way more than I should. Um, but I just allowed like myself to, to do it within the confines of still being productive. And so I kind of have these like, you know, guidelines of I have to write so many pages. Uh, and if I decide I want to spend my session spending two thirds of it on one sentence, that's fine. But the rest is going to be a little flimsy. And so, you know, kind of, you know, learn to sort of self-regulate just, um, by by the, the the habit of it but i know I, i'd be very honest i, I rewrote things many many times i'm I'm generally not happy with lines I, I still go back and i read the books and i'm unhappy with how they they scan and how they read um i'm, I'm very much a prosy guy like you know a, a word level <laughs> guy I think uh, taking it back to um, the Books of Babel, one of my favorite parts about um, your books is how each situation, each each mini adventure feels unique and it feels like there are actually stakes. Even though I'm fully aware that Selen's going to make it through, I always question if he's going to make it through unscathed. How do you go about, especially in a novel like this that is so focused on adventure, how do you go about avoiding problems such as plot armor or throwing in I, conflict I think, for the for sake me, of conflict to extend to the story. The central conflict of the story is, is always an internal for Sinlin. Like he he blunders into difficulty. Uh, he makes things worse where he goes, but the conflict is one that is just inherent to him. And so there there is no fix. Uh, yeah, I think one of the things that like some readers have said is like he's making he's making some of the same dumb mistakes in a third book that he made in the first book. I'm like, yeah, that's sort of like how people are. You know, there's some things that are just inherent that you can't fix, even in yourself, even if you want to. And so I think that the thing that that you know when people talk about plot armor, the thing that uh, for me uh, supersedes that is is being honest about your character, 
their development, yes, but their sort of inherent inescapable flaws. Um, and so even when uh, Sinlin is handed opportunity, even when he's handed like uh, a break, he, he generally squanders it. He, he mismanages it. He, he, with the best of intentions, does not do what would be best for himself. Uh, and, and I think that that's what makes it interesting to me. Uh, that's just how like, I, I've experienced life. Like, you know, I, I feel like uh, my life is not a plot. It is a series of decisions that I've made, many of them poor. And so I've used that as a model for this, the, the series more than um, mm-hmm. sort of the devices. Now, of course, there are, there are like plot devices in there. There have to be. Uh, there, there are certain, you know, uh, moments that, that certainly test the, the limits of, of uh, credulity. But uh, th- I think what makes the series hopefully have a sense of reality ultimately is the characters. I'm speaking on the idea of plot devices and a sense of reality, since you are a writer within the mm. fantasy genre, which is a notorious genre for being very trope heavy, mm. how do you not only avoid well, the so classic tropes, is, but use them to your advantage? The, the truth is, I don't read a lot of fantasy. Uh, I read a lot of fantasy when I was younger. Uh, and then I mm-hmm. just, after I was in high school, just didn't. Um, I, I read a lot of like you know um what is irritatingly referred to as literature I, you know, I got my degree in literature i studied poetry I, you know, I, I've, I've read a lot of um sort of sub-genres of, of 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 those things and and i didn't really keep up with fantasy uh and so a lot of the the tropes that people have you know expressed like either frustration with or affection for are a little mysterious to me because i just haven't kept up with it that much now of course like this sort of like farm boy sort of you know uh, cliche or trope or the, the mary sue I'm, I'm familiar with but some of the more uh specific rarefied ones i just don't know um and and i think that that in some ways that is beneficial because I, i'm not having to uh, juggle people's uh you know expectations uh because i'm just ignorant of them like, I don't, I don't sit down and go like, well, I don't want to fall into that trap because that will put people off. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what will put them off. I'm just trying to tell the story as I understand it. Well, has the audience have an effect on the trajectory of the books now that you gain that audience after the first one? Where did their opinions you know, or did you thinking of their opinions uh, the affect book. the books at all? I think that that's going to be the real test because the first two books were written when no one cared. And the majority of the third book was also written when no one had read anything. I, I, I did uh, do a lot of rewriting of the third book and uh, there was, it was unfinished when I was, uh, you know, kind of noticed by uh readers but those those things were pretty i mean the first two are absolutely locked down the third one's like pretty well conceived maybe it'll have an influence in the fourth book it's impossible to tell i think that um i'm determined to to limit that as much as possible you know i want to make it true to the the series and have that kind of integrity and that's my goal but you know i'm a 
I'm a person. Like I have no idea how these influences will uh, suddenly turn my my attention. Um, now, like, am I going to change the plot based on fan interest or pressure? No. Uh, I I wrote the final scenes of the book uh, early in the drafting of the first book, so I, you know, like, I know where it's going. Um, but you know, uh, tone, uh, theme, those things can be influenced. I, I we'll see. So would you consider oh, I, yourself I, a pretty strict outliner outline throughout this I book series? Um, I, I, I start with outlines. I, I fill up uh, moleskin notebooks <laughs> with notes. I write pieces of dialogue. I have uh, dream journals. I have uh, you know, schematics. You do the word clouds on the wall. Like I do all that stuff. And none of it ultimately sticks. Like I think it all has a part in the process but man like i would never sit down and write a how to write a novel book because it would be it would be garbage it's just i i do i do a little bit of everything in sort of a desperate flounder <laughs> to find the core of the novel for me it's like a process of drafting and so the hod king got rewritten three four five times um sinless sins not as many times but i mean boy that thing was radically changed over the course of the drafting um, so I'm, I'm more of a guy who, you know, slaps the mud on the wheel and tries to make something of it. Um, I think. Hmm. So let's talk about the tower. Uh, this is the fan favorite part of hmm. the books. And one of my favorite parts of the books is the setting that you've created. And it brings me to a question I ask all writers in the fantasy genre is the ultimate question of showing versus telling when it comes to a world and not getting sucked into the rabbit hole of world building how did you did you consciously maintain the mystery uh, you know, of the tower uh, or was it something that just happened the, the, there's like the tower uh, uh, as i can see of it in a uh, like a in, in entirety and then there's the tower as it exists in its details and the tower in its entirety and its sort of you know history and purpose etc those things have been clear to me since the beginning the tower and its variety and the details of the different ringdoms is something that i have discovered along the way using the vehicle of the characters to to explore you know that's sort of one of the things that i i, I when i started writing the the stupid prose poem about the tower of babel i realized realized very quickly that it was sort of uh, this sort of antiseptic thing it was lifeless and soulless because I was describing it all like from a distance that, that kind of problem with the world building, which is like, Hey, you're making really fascinating things up, but I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter like how fascinating they are. Uh, I don't care. So like to, to, to make both myself and the reader care, I needed uh, somebody to, to, to walk through it and discover it. And that sense of uh, wonder and bafflement is what I think makes a tower mysterious. Um, so I think, again, it kind of goes down to the character level. Like, it's, that's, that's the thing that makes a tower work. Um, I think there are some readers who have asked me, like, so you're going to, like, just, we're going to know every single ringdom. You're going to describe it all. I'm like, oh, you are going to be disappointed because that's, that's not what this series is about. Could I write future series? Could other people, <laughs> like, you know, write some, uh, you know, add-ons? Absolutely. And that sounds like fun. But th this series is, 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 again, not about completely dissecting the tower as much as it is these these characters finishing their stories
So you have so book four you know, coming out in 2020, like, or you know, hopefully I'm, coming I'm out in 2020. Boat as it's being pushed into the water. So, like, 2020 is the goal. As a fan of the Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire series, I know that all too well. well you know, um, so what comes know. after that? I don't know. I think like, if uh, there's an appetite for more uh, books set in the world of the Tower, I could pursue those i think as standalones um i think i will take a break from series i think you know what's funny about writing a series at least in my experience is there's this hubris involved in doing it and i had never finished a novel as an adult when i wrote some of the sins but to say you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna write four of these was just arrogant and i i you know i, I feel like it, this whole experience has been s- sort of harrowing and very interesting and very rewarding. But like the only way to learn to write a series is to do it ultimately. And so uh, when I get to the end of this, I would like to take a break and just write a book, you know, because when you're writing a series, it's its own thing. It's it's um, you know, every every book has to uh, be entire in some way and have a sense of, of of movement and purpose, but, you know, contribute to the overarching uh, sort of plot line. Uh, so, yeah, I think whatever it write, I write next, it, it may be set in a tower. It will definitely be a standalone, and it may be something else entirely. I have I have ideas of, you know, ray gun science fiction. Uh, I would like to write like a sort of Terry Pratchett-esque, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, magic, but on the domestic <laughs> scale, uh, short novel. So I, mean, I have those sorts of ideas knocking around. So for my final question for you today, Josiah, the um, whole point of this podcast, though, one thing led to another portion of it is looking to explain how one person makes something lead to another in an interesting way. And I think the question I'm going to finish out with is how does someone tell a good story? Or is there any advice you can give to somebody who wants to write their own story or perhaps tell a better story at the dinner Um, table? My... My... Um, experience like growing up was uh, I grew up with a lot of storytellers uh, and so like you know there was always a long-winded and raucous tale at the, the dinner table and I think what you what I, what I took away from that is uh, exuberance excitement uh, that sort of uh, wide-eyed wonder pulls people along I think that like we live in a time where irony and cynicism and satire are beginning to burn out and the increasing importance of like honest sentiment and uh, emotional uh, sort of like honesty, uh, like just is more profound and, and more affecting now than maybe it was before. Or, or maybe it's just you know, the, 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 the axis, the, the, the pendulum swung the other way. Uh, I, but I, 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 I look for stories that, that have that um, sense of awe uh, and, and is, are filled with awe in an unashamed or unabashed way. Okay. Well, I would like to thank Josiah so much for that interview. Um, and please go check out The Hod King and the other books of Babel. They are an incredible book series, one of my favorites I've read uh, recently. 
and I cannot recommend them enough. I have a few other interviews in the, on the docket with authors from several different genres, so be on the lookout for those. Um, I am also here to plug a new podcast I'm a part of called Mouse in the House Podcast. It is here on Anchor as well as other podcasting services. It's essentially me and two of my friends trying to solve the most difficult questions facing sports. Uh, it's hilarious. It's fun. I truly enjoy doing it. And I highly recommend you go and check that one out as well. Also, my website underwent huge changes this past week. I had a moment of inspiration, so I ask that if you want to, you can go out to that site. You can find it at noafinko.net or ntfinko.com, whichever suits your fancy. There you can find uh, other writings I have done and also links to those two podcasts that I'm doing currently. But I would like to thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes as they come. I anticipate doing another read aloud episode after this one and then having more interview episodes thereafter. But thank you so much. If you want to donate to me to as encouragement or any other contribution you can think of, uh, there is a link below to my Patreon. Th again, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. 